everyone, it's Chris. It's Allison. And it's Matt. And I know this is becoming a habit with us, but before we start <laughs> this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, uh, I thought it would be uh, beneficial for everybody listening for us to give a slight update. If everybody follows the feed who's listening to this, you realize that we preempted this show, which is the revisiting how the test was won, for a reboot update special. And uh, part of that reboot update special, I left space for any news that might have broken after we had recorded that special to insert and uh, then put out the most complete special we could. As far as I knew, there was no news. I left that part of the, the podcast blank. And then literally about 30 minutes after I posted the freaking podcast, three things broke. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. So we, <laughs> <laughs> since we're not going to be talking about any of this stuff in the show proper today, because we recorded it so long ago, I thought it might be beneficial for everybody to get just the latest after what we heard last week. So Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. There are three things that came out. There is a confirmed release date. Um, we know that there is a teaser trailer that has been airing on various uh, media networks. And we also have a tentative episode count from one source, right? Right. We knew it was going to be airing on Mondays at 10 p.m. And we sort of figured that would be in the fall at some point. But we now know uh, Monday, September 19th is episode one. And yeah, 10 p.m. leading off from The Voice, which I've got to say, as, as a Brit, 10 p.m. seems like a really bad time slot. But I think you, you guys have corrected me on this a couple of times. So may, maybe for any other Brits listening, you can confirm that's not the death slot that it seems. I think it's it's not a great time slot, but it is a decent placement because The Voice uh, should be a pretty good lead in. Okay, good. And anything is better than the Friday night death slot. That's really the death slot here in America. So a Monday night to me seems like they're banking on some kind of moderate success. I don't watch network TV anymore. I know that Thursday used to be like the big night on NBC. That's when you had like Seinfeld and Frasier and Friends and, you know, all of like their hit shows. And ER was Thursday too. So is that still a thing? I don't know. But uh, Monday night at 10 seems seems okay to me as long as it's not Friday night at 10 because then we'd have guaranteed cancellation. <laughs> I think also with uh, with streaming, some of that stuff matters a little less. I believe they're going to be putting the episodes up the next day on Peacock. So time slots aren't necessarily as much of a factor as they used to be. So that's really cool news. And uh, the fact that we now have a hard date where we can say, hey, we're going to start doing the new episodes. Oh, I can't wait. I just can't wait. Yeah. We can start planning our discussions. Right. Now it's like about, what, 10 weeks out. So in 10 weeks, new Quantum Leap. That's amazing. Mm. Woohoo! Hot dog. Hot dog. And, and right on the heels of that news, we got a, a – it's not really a trailer. It's more of a teaser. And there was kind of a rigmarole to get this. Allison, I know that you were fishing for it. <laughs> Yeah, we were all kind of fishing for it. Yeah, someone posted on Reddit this 15-second teaser trailer that they'd recorded off of some sort of streaming app. We think it's Hulu, but it's it's kind of hard to tell. No one else had any evidence of this. As of today, it's still not up on any official channels or anything, but it definitely has been airing on NBC, Peacock, um, other streaming services associated with that. I believe some people have mentioned sci-fi as well. Yeah, so uh, we were searching around for it. I was looking on the various streaming apps. Albie eventually found it uh, airing on AGT, 
one night. Uh, so that's up on our channel if anyone wants to check it out. Uh, not in the filmed their screen Reddit version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Albie was able to get uh, like a 4K rip of the actual broadcast. So I'm glad that he watches those competition shows. I don't think I've ever seen an, an episode of America's Got Talent. And I don't know if this 15 second <laughs> <laughs> tease would induce me to do so, but I'm glad Albie liked it. <laughs> and so far, um, we're the only ones that have the 4K HD trailer available on any kind of stream. It looks like we're the only one on YouTube with the full resolution. Yeah, there's been a bunch of sites like that did like um, announcements about the synopsis and the teaser trailer linking to our trailer because like I said, it's not on any official channels. It's a little weird. Yeah. So I know that um, we have that available on our YouTube site. That's youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast. Put the the in there slash the quantum leap podcast. And in addition to the actual teaser, we also have a very special appearance by Allison Pregler and Mr. Albert Mark Burge doing a teaser reaction. So they have a teaser reaction video there as well where they discuss it in much greater depth than we're going to do right now. We just wanted to make you guys all aware of it because we were kind of, you know, just just missed it. We missed it by that much when we released the last reboot special. The other news. Now, this is a bit more tentative. Matt, you're the sort of the, the arbiter and the gatekeeper for what you think is real. If you put it on quantumleapinfo.net, I know that you do it because you think it's probably okay or you give heavy caveats. So what do you think about this announcement of the episode count? So th this has just been slipped into one article on one website, and it's one of those websites that is linking back to our trailer, geekanything.com. Did an article about, yeah, here, here's the new teaser, here's the synopsis, and it's the same synopsis that's been doing the rounds for the last week or so. And they just mention casually that it's a, it's a 10 episode run. Not announced, just mentioned. Now, the only thing that I could think of is that they've done what I've done in the past occasionally and subscribed to Production Weekly which is where sometimes odd little bits of information like that come out. But Production Weekly hasn't run anything on Quantum Leap in weeks now. So it hasn't come from there. Um, you would have thought if they got an exclusive or a leak or something, they would have mentioned that. So I don't know. I have I kind of feel like it might be an assumption, but it, it's just, it seems very odd. Uh, it seems a very odd thing to assume. So I'm cautiously... Op I guess optimistic is the word, that this is genuine, just because it seems like such an odd thing to make up and, and put it in like that. So we'll see. But yes, possibly a 10-episode run. That gives me some hope, because I'm going to guess it's going to be at least 10 episodes. Mm. And if that gets confirmed, that gives us a hard time to work with. Now we know when it's going to premiere, we know how long it's going to go on, and we can plan out the kind of coverage we're going to need when the show actually premieres. Now, I don't know if the old network model might still apply here. I know that when there were 22 episodes a season, they would always order, like say, like the first 13. And then if those did well, they would then go ahead and order what they called the back nine. I, if that model still exists, the 10 doesn't make any sense. I've speculated headcanon that maybe it is a 10-episode order because it was originally slated for Peacock as a streaming series, which 10 episodes is pretty much the norm now for a streaming series. And then 
NBC decided to pick it up for the network, but the deal was basically already done for 10 episodes and it was just easier to go forward with that instead of recutting every deal and, and rejiggering the model that they had already set up. That's complete speculation on my part. I mean, it's also possible they pitched it as a 10 episode thing and maybe they had an arc planned for 10 episodes. Some shows are set up that way these days, though I hope it's not necessarily completely set up to be a 10 episode story, but it's possible that's what they they did. Yeah. So if it is 10 episodes, uh, assuming no reruns or weeks off, it will take us right from the premiere date to Thanksgiving, in which case most shows go on hiatus anyway at that point for the holidays. And if they wanted to bring it back for, say, February, it would be in perfect keeping with the current TV environment if it's any way a hit. What's to stop them from ordering another 10? The other thing that we haven't mentioned, but I have seen in the last two days, both Raymond Lee and Mason Alexander Park have posted on their Instagram that they've begun shooting again for, I guess, the second pilot or, uh, yeah, that's probably what they're doing. The pilot that we discussed in the last update episode. So they're on the ground and their cameras are rolling. So... They got 10 weeks to get it done. (laughs) Well, they've got to get at least a couple of episodes in the can, so 10 weeks seems doable. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So I'm sure they all know what they're doing. They're all pros over there. But uh, of course, as you all are aware, usually when we do this, we end it with a pitch. And uh, of course, I'm going to be pitching right now um, because we have so much new concrete information. I can start working out logistics and budgets and editing and all this. And this is where you come in. If you are interested in supporting this show at any level, you can do so at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Uh, now that um, I have stuff to work with, I can sort of um, take what we're getting in and maybe apply it, even if we can't get the full-time editor that we're hoping for to help me you know, carry the load, I can maybe form some work out based on what we have coming in. So every little bit will help. And even if you guys can help alleviate you know, one show out of three for me, you have no idea how far that goes just for the quality of the podcast and us being able to make sure that we do it just right. We're not up against it. So uh, NBC, if you're listening, if you can give us advanced copies of the episodes, hey, we'd love it. (laughs) Heck yeah. (laughs) But that won't be strictly necessary. I just know that um, we've gotten such a wonderful outpouring of support from listeners, both financially and I want to say spiritually, but everybody's just so excited and everybody's so supportive and uh, if you want to go to that next level and support us financially to help us put out the best show possible, you can do so at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Thank you all so much. We are just, we're stoked. We're so stoked. We've been continually on a high for like the last two, three months and it's just getting higher and higher. Yeah. <laughs> So, with all that said and done and all that out of the way, we can finally air the uh, How the Test Was One show. I know Allison had a ball on this one, and we got Widowmaker and Zeke and, and, and the whole crew coming your way. So, uh, yeah. on with the show. Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, 
and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 110, Revisiting How the Test Was Won. Not gonna do it. I want Ayers' test. I want Riata to stay in the family. I don't see that happening, Chance. Well, your mama, God rest her soul, she'd have made a woman of you instead of a cowboy. Why can't I be both? Because it ain't natural. Get married, Tess. And I'll tell you what. If there's a man on this ranch who can keep up with me for one week, then I'll marry him. But if he can't, then we forget about this marriage business once and for all. Honey, you just overplayed your hand. I pick. No. I pick him. I pick him. Tess, you can't be serious. Said any man on the ranch chance that a deal's a deal. Right, Doc? You go for it, Doc. Go for what? Marriage, son. To Tess and 50,000 acres of Riata. If you can outride, outrope, and all around out cowboy me. <laughs> You're kidding, right? <laughs> this is Texas, son. We don't kid about our land, our women. Oh, listen, Al. You figure out what I'm here to do? Uh, well, according to Ziggy, there's a 72% chance you're here to cure the pig. For a minute, I thought I was here to marry Tess. Oh, oh, well, I haven't run a number on that yet. Wait. Oh, it's not so bad, Sam. Uh, there's only a 47% chance you're going to marry this girl, Tess. Hey, Al. There's a scrapbook on Tess McGill. It's Doc's diary. I saw her today. I wanted to take her in my arms to kiss her cheeks, her eyes, her lips, but after all these years, I'm still dumbstruck in her presence. Will I ever have the courage to tell Tess how much I love her? Al. Doc's in love with Tess. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, what? Well, uh, there's a 97% probability that someone who's been sending her love letters will marry Tess. Well, uh, then I'm okay because this is a diary. It's not love letters. Don't fight it, Sam. You're here to marry this cowboy. A uh, boy girl. Cowgirl. Girl. <laughs> Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Fragler. <laughs> I'm Matt Dale. And I ain't having no babies. This time around, we are talking about the season one episode, How the Test Was Won, Revisiting Tess. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the audience wanted. This is what we're giving them. Ooh. I've been looking forward to roping this episode ever <laughs> since we began. <laughs> I feel like I'm lost on Riata Ranch and I got 50,000 acres between me and the end of the podcast, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Ain't no one out roping us, out podcasting us, out cowboying us. It's no fair. You two have a closer tie to the accent. I feel like I just embarrass myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a few miles closer than I am. 
I liked your interpretation of Piggy Suey. Like you did a very like deep Piggy Suey. <laughs> like that kind of you went in that direction. It's pretty good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I do a good Elvis. Um, I'm, I don't think I got that out in Memphis Melody, but I should have done. If you, I mean, this is a little bit close to Elvis. You know, it's got kind of that twang. Yeah. I feel like it's Southern generic. You could pull it off, kind of. Mm. Exactly. Depending on your level of intensity. How, how much do you want to commit, Matt? Uh, tonight, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to hold back. Maybe, maybe at the end. Just realize that no matter how much you might embarrass yourself trying to do a Southern accent, it still won't be half as embarrassing as some of the stuff in this episode. So you're still pretty good. <laughs> Sam saying, oh, gee, shucks, Mr. Dillon. Oh, gee, shucks, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> at least that's Bacula hamming it up. He does that more than once on the show. I think he does the yes. Mr. Dillon and uh, <laughs> Rebel Without a Clue later. He liked that one. Yeah. Like pulling that one out. I know that must be a reference. It must be Bonanza or some cowboy show yeah. or something. He's Gunsmoke. Doing. Gunsmoke is Marshall Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's Marshall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah. Oh, oh boy. Um, I guess do you guys want to get into some uh, some initial impressions of Tess? Hell yeah. I tip my hat a little bit, partner, but uh, Allison, why don't you get us started? <laughs> he, this is <laughs> the ultimate season one episode, isn't it? <laughs> this is the, a perfect example of season one of a show where you're like i don't know like just throw something out there i guess <laughs> <laughs> it's, can sam out cowboy this cowgirl he got ropery <laughs> she ain't getting roped in by no man <laughs> let's end it on a wah wah note <laughs> Getting out, cowboy, the the cow girl boy out. Yeah. Boy girl cow. <laughs> this is a dumb episode. It's a real dumb episode, but it's a fun dumb episode. Like, there's good parts to it. I don't think it's like a bad episode per se. It's just definitely like they didn't really know the vibe yet. Mm. Mm. How about how about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I had a revelation this weekend. So, um, yeah, I've always hated on this episode because it's a dumb episode <laughs> and because they haven't got the vibe right yet and all the things that Alison said. And it's just when we said that we were going to go back to the start and go through again, honestly, my first thought was, shit, we're going to have to do tests. Oh, good grief. And this weekend, I loved it. I just Whoa! fell in love with it. I've watched this Whoa! dozens of times. <laughs> it's, it is really fun and it's really sweet. And I really like it now. I'm a fan of how the test was won after 20 odd years of thinking it was abysmal. I've suddenly, I don't know. <laughs> how the test was won, won you over. Yeah. They roped you in. Test finally won me over. <laughs> oh, man. There's so much good stuff in this. So much good stuff, so much bad stuff. You guys are reading my notes, I think. Um, I literally, literally wrote down the dumbest. The dumbest. And not only that, it was like the dumbest of TV plots, but it was wrapped up in the most beautiful cinematic package, I think, that Quantum Leap has ever given us. Yes! It did look great, yeah. Props to director Ivan Dixon, but what a dumb, dumb TV plot. I mean, this is a contest to get married. Yeah, that happens in real life. Because that's how people get married. A contest. If you're on the ranch in the 50s, it's just how things work. That's how things were in Texas. It's how they passed on the riata. I mean, I, it was really good when they did this on Gilligan's Island, but I don't know if Quantum Leap could pull it off as well as, you know, like Bob Denver and the Skipper. So why does, why 
would Sam go along with this? Why do you go along with this? He's like, yeah, sure. This contest to get married where she clearly doesn't want to get married. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I got to add in a new first impression. Chris, sorry, because you've just reminded me about the cinematography in this. Because I started watching at the beginning of season two, my first impression of this episode was four seasons of what is that awesome shot in the opening titles of them riding across the sunset? That's beautiful. Yeah. That that was my first impression for four years. And then BBC Two started the repeat run straight after Mirror Image finished. And uh, then I got to see it for real. and was like, ah, there's, there's 46 minutes worth of stuff around that as well. <laughs> after you've seen everything else and then you go back to how the test was won, I can see how maybe it was a little underwhelming. <laughs> but that shot, that shot. They did have some great shots. I liked the, there was one after uh, Sam falls off a Widowmaker and, uh, and Tess comes over and they have like the sun like right behind her. You can't say Widowmaker with a W, can you? It's got to be Widowmaker. 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 Yeah, the, sh- the shot of Tess uh, with the sun right behind her. She's in silhouette. I thought yeah. that looked great. Uh, they had some yeah. good stuff in there. Yeah, they they really pulled out all the stops to make this a beautiful episode. And I think that this was yet another way that they were trying to sell the show. I guess Don or whoever was sort of doing the direction for it, saying that not the directing direction for this episode per se, but just sort of the direction the show was going to be taking in the first season. It was the let's throw everything at the wall and make sure it all sticks formula, I think, to show you that this is an anthology series that we can do a great Western. We can do the the down on his luck mm-hmm. boxer. Next week, we're going to do the evil Italians. And after that, we're going to do the noir. So it, I think it was a real conscious effort to show you all of the genres that we can dabble in here. And cinematically, it was absolutely a knockout. It, it was stunning. It was if you're looking to draw eyes just to appeal to someone who's a cowboy fan, even though I don't know in the 80s if the Western was still a viable TV genre, but it, it sure was in the 50s and the 60s. This would really grab your attention. I wonder if this is this is boomer bait. <laughs> Ivan Dixon directed like one episode of everything that Belisario did, including this is just one episode of Quantum Leap. Never invited back. Very sad. Really? Oh. Belisario seemed to keep bringing him back just to do like one episode and then go, yeah, it's, you're done there. <laughs> <laughs> Season one, especially, uh, they really played with genre a lot um, in the way that the show looked and felt. It wasn't just like, what scenario is Sam in? They were trying to like make a different type of show every week and so i i really appreciated that it would look different each week and there was like a different kind of vibe and the show became a little more homogenous later despite going into different people and places like it felt a little more consistent mm. right i want to say a little more back lottie <laughs> yeah a little more back lottie <laughs> there are some things in this episode i there's these tremendous shots of Scott Bakula on a quote horse. <laughs> Whenever, like, when Al ditches him and he's like getting thrown around, it's clearly like Scott Bakula in front of either a backdrop or a blue screen, something to emulate a sky on a um, like a Bronco or a, one of those like um, mechanical bulls. those mechanical yeah. horses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's on a mechanical horse clearly in these close-ups. He's in the waiting room. Basically, he's in the waiting room. He's it's in the waiting room blue uh, on Widowmaker. Yeah, <laughs> on Widowmaker. Yeah, those shots look very eighties to me. <laughs> I'm assuming it was Diamond on the Horse for the wide shots. Probably, unless they had someone specifically trained to do horse stuff, it might have been someone else that they brought in for that. But probably Diamond Farnsworth. But 
there's a great shot of Sam. I don't know if he's, if it's on Widowmaker or on one of the other horses, but it's it, it's the the horse is going crazy, and it's a beautiful shot, and it's definitely Bacula, and they use that in the Saga Cell, but not in How the Test Was Won. It doesn't actually make really? it into the episode. Yeah, it's a different what? it's a different shot. Why didn't they? I don't know. They they use all kinds of shots in the episode, but not that for some reason. Which shot are we talking about? The shots towards the end of the season one saga cell where he says, uh, I'm a time-traveling Lone Ranger. Right, and the horse rears up on its hind legs. Yes, that's obviously filmed for Tess, but it didn't make it into the edit. There's a couple of very similar shots. Oh, similar. Okay, so you're just talking it's an alternate shot. I mean, there was a shot like that in this episode. I swear to God, the first time he got on Widowmaker, that's how he was thrown. Yeah, but it's at a weird angle. Or to me, it's at a weird angle in the episode, but in the Saga Cell, it's like side on, and it's it's really nice. I think it looks better in the Saga Cell than it does in the episode, but I, I guess it just didn't fit, maybe, with what they were doing there. Well, especially when you have like action shots of the actor actually on the horse, I feel like that's a little bit rare because of insurance reasons. They wouldn't want to have a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, why wouldn't you use it? Yeah, because that's that's definitely him, and it definitely is shot outside. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't know. Then, <laughs> yeah, like you say, there's that all the weird stuff indoors in front of the blue screen. Yeah, was that also for insurance reasons, I wonder, that they had those close-ups of him on the mechanical bull, or was it like um, just because it was easier to get those shots, you get the camera tight in there when the horse is out of control? It's probably both. I wonder what the main reason was. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe both. Yeah, I think if you want to do an insert shot, you're going to have to control it a little bit, and maybe they didn't even think that they needed that until they got into the editing bay and said, this is, wow, this is a lot of master stuff. This is a lot of really wide footage. We need to punch it up somehow. So get Scott by the blue screen, get the uh, rhinestone cowboy mechanical bull, and let's see what we can do. (laughs) Yeah, especially then, too, like, they did have a lot wider variety of shots because they had more money and time to do this. Like, later on, you definitely got, like, less uh, variety of close-ups and far shots and all that other kind of stuff as the money was running out. I definitely noticed it when we were getting into like season five episodes, because there was a lot of episodes with a lot of very tight shots, but you would get less uh, stuff of the masters and different like um, close up shots. And and all of that has to do with just time and money. Hmm. One thing that I noticed about this was that it was very light on messages. There was just one specific theme here that they seemed to hammer home again and again and again, but then they failed to follow through on it. And that was Tess's independence. The whole episode is built on the fact (laughs) that Tess is this fiercely independent person that does not want to be controlled by anything. My first thought was, why does she have to get married at all? Number one, to inherit her family ranch. And then I realized- 50s Texas. That's probably- That's exactly right. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. This is 1956. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, women couldn't even have credit cards without a man's permission, like their husband's permission until, like, the 70s, I think. It was a ridiculous, ridiculously modern time for it to actually happen. (laughs) So you're telling me that even if Tex wanted to leave her the ranch, he couldn't for legal reasons unless she had a man in her life, unless she had a husband? I don't know. I don't know how things would work back then. I don't even know when credit cards first started being used, but... Yeah, Yeah, but no, I understand what you're saying, though. I mean, that to me is just... Can, Can women own land now? (laughs) <laughs> Women can own land now. 
Really? You know, it seems radical. Wow, America's progressive. Yeah, but it's just, you know, it took a long time for women to get these kinds of rights. But yeah, it should, the episode should have ended with her just being like, fuck off, and then she got the ranch by herself. Like, it feels like they utterly fail on any sort of messages that they're trying to put into this episode. And Sam even seems like part of it. There's lines in this episode like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's like, there's some things that, that a man can do better than a woman. And there's some things that a woman can do better than a man, like having babies. Like having babies. Cut to season three. Get fucked, Sam. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to say that line. Oh, that's so cringy. So cringy. He has those lines like, oh, you, I'll take the pig, you keep the girl. I wanted to see if I could ride him, not her. Like, what in the world? Now, I felt like, honestly, that was Sam sort of redeeming this bullshit storyline in the sense that no way, even if I won this dumb contest, am I going to relegate her to marrying this person who is going to be different the second I leave? Why would I trap her in some kind of marriage? I think that was him calling them out on just how ridiculous this was that's a good way to read it it is yeah but it also seems like he's kind of given her an fu for all of this stuff they're putting him through like no i'm not gonna do this like screw screw yourselves (laughs) i'm just gonna ride widowmaker and take off and get her to come after him i mean i have a whole a whole section of cringe lines that uh (laughs) i I jotted down what other cringe lines you got i raised you to run this place like a man and now you don't know how to be a woman you don't know how to be a woman allison <laughs> hey, Allison. Women's Allison, lube is gonna love you. Allison, Allison, for once in your life, why don't you act like a woman instead of a cowboy, huh? Tess, for once in your life, act like a woman instead of a cowboy. Huh? Why don't you? <laughs> Are these the lines from her dad? Yeah, that's from Tex. And then yeah, yeah. I love Tess has some really, really cringy lines right in the beginning, the first scene. Like, so if you're so damn set on disinheriting me, if I don't lift up my tail and act like a broodmare. Ew. <laughs> And then she goes on to say, I won't breed with inferior stock. With inferior stock? (laughs) (laughs) When she's saying that, she means Zeke specifically. (laughs) She won't breed with inferior stocks. Zeke is my favorite season one character. He's the guy when they're like, Zeke? And they have that insert shot of him very slowly looking over. (laughs) Yes. But he's not the only one that they're stood there talking about who on the ranch she might fuck. And the guys are all like looking up like, oh, okay, Ooh, this, this is happening. Could it be me? Could I get the ranch? <laughs> Zeke, you are not getting the ranch. Get back to work. <laughs> no way were you ever in the running, Zeke. <laughs> You know, that reminds me of, there was a restaurant in the town that I grew up in called Zeke's, and it was like, basically, uh, like Chris said, boomer bait, you know, all the old people love going to (laughs) to Zeke's, and like, whenever we would be like, in church, if like, the sermons were running long, like, people would be like, checking their watches, like, I gotta get to Zeke's before it gets busy! Wrap it up! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What did Zeke serve? It was oh, Italian, just country right? food. No, it was just a bunch of country food slathered in gravy. It's not oh, I love, worth it. Oh, I love the biscuits and gravy and some country fried steak. It's the kind of stuff my parents love, but I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> Maybe a chicken fried steak. I do love chicken fried steak. It's, it's good stuff, good. right? With that soy milk gravy. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, you got to you got to slather the mashed potatoes on it. Also, I used to get that at like three o'clock in the morning in Missouri. After all the bars closed, there was one little diner that would open up and it served nothing but biscuits and gravy and chicken fried steak. So oh, man. I had no idea what sawmill gravy was until 
I went to school in the Midwest. And now I'm just like, oh, I wish I could have that every weekend. And then I'm like, thank God I don't have that every weekend. No, I see. Generally, I like the other kind of gravy better. But if you're going to have chicken fried steak, it's got to be that. Yeah. Delicious. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, this is so very British, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you love all the country fried episodes, especially so. <laughs> <laughs> so much sweat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ooh, sweaty. We got sweaty Sam shirtless digging posts. <laughs> oh, don't, right. So Sam's all like, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you might get sunstroke, but I'm going to walk around here topless. I, you know, I'm not completely complaining because it's topless Scott, but <laughs> at the same time, lack of logic there, lack of consistency. He's cooling off. There, No, there is some consistency in the sense that, and one of my criticisms was Tess is supposed to be independence. This is supposed to be somewhat about self-reliance and sexism and everything. And then the first chance they get, they just strip her without her consent, mind you. Well, mm -hmm. he was helping her with heat stroke. It wasn't because he was trying to just strip her down for no reason. She, she, she was having a health crisis at the moment. I, I do get it. I understand it worked in the context of the scene, but was it strictly necessary for the episode? No, they just wanted to get Kari in her underwear. Oh, yeah, that sexy 50s underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't think that was meant to be sexy. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really seem very fan servicey. The Scott Bakula stuff definitely seemed very fan servicey. Oh yeah, uh, in his dad jeans, looking all muscly. He looked good in his cowboy outfits too. I will say, some good costumes in this. Yeah, some some good costumes. And for all you know, I I know that we're we're sort of taking the piss out of the episode, but um, I I do. I'm not. I love it. Uh, now you I do. do. Yes, I'm going to stand up for this. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the fact that even though Tess should have been and was for a lot of the episode just a one-note character and a thankless mm -hmm. character for anyone to have to play, I do like the way that Carrie Lizer played her. I think that she did as good a job as anybody could have with the material. And I sure. love the fact that they were able to give her a little bit more nuance before the end. The scene after they strip her for no reason, which hilarious. I'm sorry. When she wakes up, Allison, just you can tell me. I think I have my answer and then Matt will let you answer. If you woke up from being passed out, do you think it would take you a few beats and a couple of glasses of salt water to realize that you didn't have any clothes on? Or do you think you'd know right away? Because I mean, <laughs> if you're if you have heat stroke, maybe, maybe it would take a few seconds. I think I'd know maybe. right away if I wasn't wearing a shirt. What about you, Matt? Mm, I don't know. I've got to be honest, having, this is in a very specific scenario, but having come to after being passed out a few times in my life, it does take me a little while to figure out where I am and what I'm wearing. No, oh, all right. I guess I was wrong. Or not wearing. I thought that they just did that for the sake of the comedy, because I do love the beat where she looks down and she sees, and then she point. you man! You man! <laughs> <laughs> That's like right out of a cartoon. So many people <laughs> punching Sam all the time. <laughs> yeah. punched out. It's clearly for the opening credits montage. That's all that's for. They're just like, yeah, this is going to get in the montage. Yeah. We're going to get uh, repeat fees for this. <laughs> well, while we're talking about people being stripped down, okay. I was going on about this the last episode about how like, oh, Sam wouldn't just start stripping down like that. That didn't seem like a Sam thing. But uh, maybe it is because in this episode... He gets to the farm, and then he sees Al, and immediately is like, I'm on the porch, let me start just stripping down to my <laughs> boxers, take my, my overalls off, spends the whole scene wandering around like that. Like, maybe he just likes taking his clothes off. 
I'm just thinking if you are a farm boy, like Sam was raised as a farm boy, there are outside clothes and there are inside clothes because farms are smelly and muddy and shitty. Well, sure. Yeah. And you wouldn't maybe after being in a hog pen, which is the smelliest, muddiest, shittiest place on earth, track all of that into your nice living room. All right. Fair point. (laughs) I was kind of wondering, though, because like Sam does make some references to like growing up on a farm uh, in this episode and about horses and uh, what his dad taught him. And um, but then there's also like by the end of the day, he's like. I'm just going to have a hot bath. Without a bath. Without a bath. Without a bath. bath. Please let me get a bath. I don't want to be in the patient anymore. (laughs) You just imagine him like in the opening scene of uh, What Price Gloria, just full of bubbles and (laughs) (laughs) some nice scents. Uh, Sam is delightful in this episode. He is delightful. He loves these pigs. He's like, do not shoot these pigs. I have to protect these pigs. And he's he's like talking to them even to the point where like you know Tess is she's working on a farm a lot of the times they they don't really think of animals as pets they're working on the farm she's like they don't understand you easy piggy that old thunder can't hurt you can't understand you I'm just using my voice to soothe her that was adorable and and like I also like the fact that like he didn't want to read a diary like he's like this is a private thing yeah I can't I can't read his diary like this is. <laughs> Just very sweet. I thought that that pig line was sort of a clunky way to, again, make that transition from Tess being tough as nails, two-dimensional, to being an actual human being that you could have a conversation with. And the fact that this woman who is like basically the most self-sufficient person you have ever met is all of a sudden afraid of thunder was like, oh boy, that's TV, isn't it? Because she in that tough after all, she, <laughs> she's just vulnerable as all the rest of us. And plus they had to have her um, get scared before she uh, said Buddy Holly's name because of that great running oh, yeah. joke but- about no one, him not knowing yeah, so his name. That wonderful, that wonderful joke, which we'll get to. But uh, I-, I was thinking though, her saying he doesn't understand you when Sam is talking to the pig. Is that her way of saying, I don't understand you? Maybe. Again, a little bit clumsy, but it's her trying to make an effort. Yeah, it might have been. I mean, it's there. It's there on screen. So The pig thing uh, also. Um, there was a, one of the special features on the season one DVDs included uh, Scott Bakula talking about this episode. <laughs> and he shared this story about how um, the piglets that they used for this episode, they grow so fast, they just had to keep bringing in new piglets <laughs> to like fit in the drawer and stuff like that. And uh, he'd have to like carry the piglet while um, driving these old ass trucks and they kept just shitting all over him. Piglets <laughs> 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 were just shitting all over the place. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like what a real farm doctor would go through, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining like... And I think it, that was part of the story, too. It's like he's trying to run this, like, old truck. You got to do, like, a stick shift, and it's all, like, finicky, and you're holding this piglet, and you're trying to do stage business. You're trying to hit your marks. You're trying to drive, and then these piglets shitting all over you. <laughs> I recently saw a marvelous outtake of that where literally Dean and Scott are stood next to each other. Scott's holding the pig, and Dean just looks and says, the pig just did a shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> was there an outtake like that? Yes. What you got to show this to me? I have not seen this outtake. I want to see this. Yeah, one. <laughs> if you can send that to me, Matt, I'd like to drop it into the episode, like right about here. <laughs> Damn. Uh, 
the pig just took a shit. Hilarious. Well, while we're on the pig, I do like to wait. Yeah, one one second, real quick. I just want to say another thing about the pig. Um, that uh, I did really like the line where Sam says, "Hey, Al, do pigs like milk?" Said <laughs> 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 to confirm with. Them. Well, that leads right into the point I was going to make. How does Al know so much about pigs? Al knows everything. Hey, Al, do, do pigs like milk? Oh, they adore it. You know what's wrong with this, uh, with him? Uh, it's not a him, Sam. It's a girl. Trust me, Sam. It's a girl. How can Al sex a pig from across a room? Because he knows the ladies. Trust me. Trust <laughs> he me. He knows the ladies. He got them lady problems this episode. He knows them ladies. <laughs> it disturbingly does not translate, Allison. And if it did... It <laughs> I think that was what the joke was supposed to be, him saying, trust me, I know, it's supposed to be like, he's a ladies' man, even with pigs, he knows. Yeah, <laughs> I know, gross. <laughs> yeah, really gross. Yeah, I want to get into Al's stuff this episode. Uh, Al's got one of his uh, season one background storylines <laughs> uh, with oh, Tina, yeah. where, um, yeah, they're they're on the outs, they're having some problems, he thinks that she's cheating on him with someone, uh, initially he thinks it's Sam? Like he's like, Sam! Tina's got her name in a tattoo. It's in a super private part of her anatomy. Uh, Sam, you've never seen Tina's tattoo, have you? Al, I don't even remember Tina. Let alone her tattoo. You're hiding behind your Swiss cheese brain. What the hell is wrong with you? Nah, it couldn't be you. You're stuck here in 1956. Uh, I guess it couldn't be you, because you're trapped in time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the guy she hauled him out to a couple of episodes back, you know? Possibly. Could be. That wasn't that Whitesman? Yeah. Yeah, we we got quite a few mentions of some other random people at the project uh throughout this and some things about the project I don't think they ever bring up again. Yeah. Like um what is an energizing chamber? Yeah. Nope. Uh, yeah. I was gonna ask you, Matt. Yeah, I have no idea. It's never <laughs> mentioned again. At the Christmas party, when Lucille and I slipped off into the energizing chamber to to I I know, I know. It's a place for people to get energized. <laughs> Ready for the lovin'. It's a sex chamber. <laughs> well, every place in Project Quantum Leap is a sex chamber, apparently. See, I would, I, yeah, apparently everything's for, every, they, Al at least has had sex with everyone everywhere. But um, <laughs> the energizing chamber, that would seem to me something like an accelerator chamber. And if it was supposed to be um, exchangeable with that, why would you risk it? What if they were in there and it got turned on and they got leap mid-sex? Like, come on, man. We did it. Did what? <laughs> sorry <laughs> what didn't they do yeah yeah you brought up the energizing chamber in beyond the mirror image as the part of the project layout and energizing chamber how the test was won no other description <laughs> yep. i got nothing you'd have thought one of the novels would have put like a scene in in the ener energizing chamber just to explain it but no all the authors failed me <laughs> it's where they have like a giant energizer battery and that's what keeps the whole thing going and it's just glowing blue <laughs> i thought that it was the one room in the project where you don't have sex but you go there to energize between sex and you know drink a gatorade <laughs> or drink an orange yeah, juice but they, say, or... they say that lucille and al i know are in the energizing chamber doing that so so there's nothing sacred to al he's gonna sully no. every room in that he's project. a rule breaker <laughs> <laughs> Don't shine a black lighter on Project Quantum Leap is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> unprofessional. Everyone's unprofessional. What's the deal with this Ike Bettenhoff guy from Imaging Control? What's the deal with that guy sleeping with everyone? What's he controlling? <laughs> What's he controlling? <laughs> what images does he have? 
And how is he using them to control people? <laughs> That's how they got Weitzman, right? Yeah, exactly. When they blackmailed him. I think that uh, this is also the start of the Tina Algushi love triangle that yeah, pretty yeah. much endures with the show. And um, okay, Al and Tina met in Vegas mm-hmm. <sighs> over the craps table. How, how, how does that work? Like if Tina's at this point, Tina's obviously not part of the project staff. She's just his girlfriend. No, they seem to be. Well, I I don't think I think it takes them a long time before they establish that she's part of the staff or anything. But I mean, he references her enough that it seems to imply that she's there. Right. You just think that if she were part of the project staff and he is one of the project administrators, that they would meet under different circumstances. Yeah, this contradicts uh, what was seen in Prelude. In Prelude, yes. yes. Prelude, which is canon. Uh, but does establish <laughs> that it is a different Tina from the one in the pilot. <laughs> That's true. I'm just madly trying to retcon this in my head. Okay, so were they on like some fundraising junket in Vegas and set to meet some of the key people who they would want on the project? And so Tina was there because she was going to interview with Sam and yeah, they maybe. just happened to meet in the casino over the craps table or something like that. Yeah, I think that makes and sense. And then I was like, you have to hire this one, Sam. I'm going to bang her a lot in every room of the project. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he had met her in the past, but he didn't remember till later. Like, they just happened to meet there, and then they meet, you know, at the project. That, I think, was my my retcon. I'm sure I retcon this somewhere. <laughs> you had an explanation in your book? Yeah, I can't find it, but I'm sure that was what I thought. That, yeah, they, they met at some point, and then, yeah, went to work on the project later. Maybe they had, you know, a drunken one-night stand in Vegas. And then they met later at the project and continued where they left off. I like mine better. <laughs> <laughs> I think um I don't I don't know if you recall this, Matt. Was this the one that had a cut line about Tina having a glass eye? There there was some episode where there was a line in the script about Tina having a glass eye. Yeah, I don't remember, but it's yeah, possibly. I feel like it was this one. That sounds like something Tommy would have written. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time that's come up, right? I, I feel like we've discussed a glass eye before. Yeah, there was a glass eye in Southern Comforts, but that wasn't Tommy Thompson's script, right? That was uh, Chris Rupenthal? Yeah, that was. I, I just knew yeah. that we had a glass eye somewhere at some point. Yeah, I do like that they kept throwing in random lines about Tina and other people at the project. And like, Tina always had some weird thing going on. Like, she has a crocodile. That one actually made it to the show. Like,. <laughs> Stuff like that. The the glass eye thing didn't uh, didn't make it and didn't seem to be the case. But I guess you can't. You don't really know for sure. Maybe she has a glass eye. Why would she have a tattoo with her name in it in a private place? Yeah. Why would you get your own name in case she gets so drunk she forgets it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they did another thing where um Al ditches Sam. He ditches him for Tina when she calls him to to make up. Right at the crucial moment where he's riding with him, man. What a dick. I think that this is also the first time that we establish that animals can see Al. No, they establish it in the pilot. Genesis, the dog. Oh, that's They're right. They're just reestablishing it. They're reestablishing it. Okay, so my bad. I do like that raccoon just reaching for Dean Stockwell oh, and just playing with a raccoon. So I could watch that all day. Why is Doc keeping a raccoon in a cage? They're wild animals. Like, what's he doing with a raccoon? Well, maybe it got hit on the side of the road and he was just taking care of it for a re-release. Doc looks like a good guy. Maybe it had rabies and he was going to put it down. That's what I'm thinking. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> they have a line where they're talking about owl, uh, or animal seeing owl. 
And uh, he says there must be something weird looking about him because he like seems to intimidate them, which doesn't really seem to be the case. And then Sam makes this dig at his clothes. Maybe it's your clothes. And Al seems like genuinely stung about it. <laughs> He's like, maybe it's your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was one of the best parts of the episode was just that scene between them again, where you can just tell that they're friends and Sam is just giving them shit. Yeah, I love that stuff. I took that like Al being more sad and preoccupied about Tina sure. than really not paying much attention to Sam. What I loved about that entire scene was Scott played it so natural and it, it was just, it was such an easy watch. He's covered yeah. in filth. He's covered in filth throughout the entire <laughs> thing. It was such great makeup, just such great. And he has no like compunction about it. It's just like, all right, you think like he would take a shower, but yeah. apparently he didn't take a shower or look in a mirror this entire episode until the very, very end. Inconceivable, but <laughs> maybe that mud just wore off. Maybe he just took a shower and he didn't look in a mirror. Yeah. There are no mirrors in bathrooms anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> the guy he leaped into was a vampire, all right? You would never just pass a mirror. <laughs> randomly that never happens <laughs> especially one that's just like prominently placed in his house <laughs> right 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 in the entry hall yeah um al al's whole thing in this episode i did like that scene a lot like they had a that was where he's talking about like just read the diary sam come on yeah, yeah. <laughs> um they played off of each other really well um al seems to be having a real hard time in this episode with this tina thing he's actually got like stubble by the end of it yeah. Like he's grown out like a five o'clock shadow. You don't really see that that often unless he's having a real hard time. MIA. Yeah, MIA, right? Yeah, he's grown um the stubble. He's also he's wearing this isn't really about him being sad, but he was wearing one of his lesser used jackets. He has this like big comfy looking jacket with like rainbow threads in it. And he's wearing it with these like primary colors with like a blue shirt and yellow pants. That jacket was the most eighties thing I've ever seen. It, it's so ridiculously it is. It reminded me of different kinds of clothes that were very popular when I was in high school. Just those weird colors and usually it came as like pinstripes. But Zoot Suits came back in with that kind of fabric when we were kids. And yeah, it just screamed bad 80s choice. Jean-Pierre. So sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I think it could come back around. It's the big shoulders, really, that makes it the 80s. Yeah, well, that's and, – and it's – that's what also was evocative of the zoot suit and it, it – Let's put it this way, Allison. It's, it's my baggage now coming in and influencing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I remember that bullshit. But speaking of his wardrobe, I mean, bold choice, do you think, to have Al in pristine white shoes walking around in a horse corral? Because you know oh, man. them are going to stain. Them are going to get some mud on them. They had to do some cleaning. <laughs> you know, right between every take. <laughs> that is to make him stand out, to juxtapose him against the setting. This is, I think, the most effective the show has been with that so far. His futuristic look really stands out here more than it has, I think, in other shows. Just because the cowboy aesthetic is so specific, you know, it's so iconic that when he walks in, he really does pop. And um, I think that I just wish that he was popping in, in better clothes this time because he has some beautiful stuff. <laughs> this one's a bit of a misfire. It was a very season one look for him, a very early season look, because I feel like the later the show got, the more they leaned into like having suits and button downs. And occasionally he might have like a more casual kind of jacket. But this blue jacket, uh, or I mean, this blue shirt, I only recall it being in season one, the one with this shiny material and mm. I think he wore it with like a car pin and kamikaze kid. And like, it looked very cool. 
I mean, not like cool, cool. I mean, like temperature wise, cool, like <laughs> probably be very breezy. I don't know. Just seemed like this was like something like later on, like he, he dressed a little more formal. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe he was embracing. This was his way of embracing sort of the country vibe. He's going to be a little less formal. He's not going to wear his tuxedo this time. Another thing about Al, uh, he's wrong about the reason for the leap. The whole thing, they're, they're going for this, this whole romance thing, when really it's just the wah-wah joke at the end was the entire reason. Yeah, but who could, who could see that? I mean, I have that, so many specific problems with, with the wah-wah ending, and I'd like to save them <laughs> to the wah-wah ending. Was it the entire reason? I mean, can't it be a double leap? I guess. I mean, I, but what, what did he do to get Tess and... Was it Wayne? Wayne. The other guy? Yeah. Yeah, what did he do to get Tess and Wayne together? I mean, it seemed like that was going to happen on its own. Maybe it wasn't going to happen. Maybe Wayne needed Doc to be a threat in order to, because he said, I never had the guts to tell you. Uh, you know what? Yeah. All right. So maybe Sam was the catalyst for him finally revealing his feelings, because obviously in the original history, they never went with an original history here, did they? They never said that. Yeah, it would have helped to she know. She didn't get married. She what lost happened the ranch. Originally. <laughs> the ranch went yeah. into receivership because she's an old maid. <laughs> <laughs> All they did was just say she's going to marry the guy who wrote her love letters. And I, I sure, they, Ziggy was right. Even now says Ziggy was right. It's just that it wasn't you. Yeah. Was the guy in the mirror really that ugly? He was no Wayne. I didn't think so. He was sweet. He was just a guy wearing glasses and they were acting like he was the hunchback of Notre Dame or something. <laughs> no. I felt so bad for the guy who played the mirror image. <laughs> Yeah. That you had a lot to overcome, Sam. Like, what? <laughs> yes. He didn't scream rugged cowboy, though. That was the thing. And I also think that, I'm sorry, it's Not just, like Zeke. Yeah, not like Zeke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful he Zeke. He ain't got that Zeke energy. I mean, but who does? <laughs> that slow-mo Zeke energy. Oh. I'm getting all tingly. But I <laughs> think that, unfortunately, when you have to compare yourself to Scott Bakula, you're <laughs> Probably gonna lose every time unless you're, I, mean, I don't not- know, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> he's not Scott Bakula, but I don't think he was a bad looking guy. Like, he looked fine, I guess. I was a little confused about why the mirror image has glasses and not Sam, but. Mm, yeah. So have we ever retconned that in any way? I mean, I know that that's just, in my opinion, that's a season one mistake. They're still figuring out the show. Did they think, oh, it'd be neat that if Sam looks and the guy has glasses and he doesn't, but then how does that work in the real world? Especially Sam eventually washes his face, the mud, unless again, it falls off because he apparently never took a shower or looked in a mirror throughout the entire episode. Like, how do we explain that away in universe? Obviously, it's a production mistake. How do we explain it away in universe? Matt, go. I I can't. I ne- I've never been able to do that, and um, I'm just. There's just thing I want to check. Oh. Go on, you you talk about this for a second while I'm just looking into something. Maybe it's Sam just seeing him at his ugliest quote. You know, like this is how he normally looks. So <gasps> actually, <laughs> no. This makes much more sense than. Every other time he go, and, and I'm, this is just me thinking off the top of my head. So this makes more sense than every other time Sam leaps into someone that wears glasses. Sam puts the glasses on himself, but doesn't bump into things, which you would do if you had twenty twenty vision and you wore glasses. So Sam doesn't wear glasses, which is the only time he does this, and it makes sense. But the aura, everyone expects him to wear glasses because he usually wears glasses. So the aura is wearing glasses. There we go. Yeah. Done it. Maybe he could have been doing that the whole time. 
He just didn't think of it. The fact that, like, he could have just not been wearing the glasses and people would have saw him with the glasses. Yeah. Because Yoro would be wearing glasses. And, yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't really make any sense anytime he wears glasses unless it's, like, they're just there for aesthetic reasons. Like, uh, any kind of prescription, if you have 20-20 vision, is going to mess with your eyesight. So, So, wait, so are you saying then... Initially, when Sam initially leaps into someone until he either undresses or gets dressed, that he's just basically walking around in a Fermi suit, but everybody sees him in that person's outfit because that's what they expect to see in the aura delivers? No, he would have been, he would leap into whatever the person's wearing. And at that particular point, when he leapt in as Doc, Doc wasn't wearing glasses. He'd just taken his glasses off. And because Sam's not short-sighted, he never thought to put the glasses on. Usually, when he leaps into someone short-sighted, they're already wearing glasses. And for some reason, it doesn't bother him. But this time, because he was was in the mud, getting all messy, he'd taken his glasses off. Because otherwise, your, your glasses would get all disgusting. So, Doc had taken the glasses off. Sam leapt in. Sam never thought to put his glasses on. But at some point, the aura started having glasses. Sam, you were a glasses guy the whole time. You didn't even know it this this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb dumb. What I wanted to check was, um, did the script say, like, oh, he looks in the mirror and sees someone ugly and bespectacled? Unlike if it's specified that he wore glasses, but it doesn't. It just says, Sam turns and looks into it. We see Doc for the first time. He looks like Mr. Peepers. Which I think is something you two are going to have to explain to me. Well, that sounds like someone with glasses, Mr. Peepers. Sounds like a Don Knotts character. I believe it was a Don Knotts character. Don Knotts was Barney Fife on Andy Griffith. And Mr. Furley on Three's Company, Matt, if you need a cultural reference, if you don't know who Don Knotts is. Thank you. Apple Dumpling Gang. What else? He always like played like a nerd, like like a skinny goof. All right. So it doesn't, I mean, yes, probably somebody that wears glasses, but it doesn't actually, I was hoping the script would specify, oh, look, he's wearing glasses, but it doesn't. I think that Doc just got a gag mirror from the county fair last year, but when you look (laughs) at it, it just makes you think you're wearing glasses, and it's a conversation starter for when the patients walk in to make them feel at ease when they have to put their raccoons down. (laughs) That's what I'm going with. I prefer yours. I feel like the guy in the reflection could have played like Don Knotts in a made-for-TV movie, you know, where everyone looks slightly <laughs> different, and they're like, well, I mean, I guess. In the Andy Griffith biopic? Maybe a slightly better-looking version of him. I really think they were being unfair to that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he showed up on the show again, He was, and he had lines that time. He was in uh, Blind Faith, was it? The one where uh, where Sam's in the blind guy? and yes. He's the stage manager. Always with the eyes with this guy. (laughs) Yeah, he worked backstage when Sam's at Carnegie Hall and he tries to get the mom to quit smoking. (laughs) He's the guy backstage at Carnegie Hall just letting anyone in. (laughs) Say you know someone, come and stand in the wings. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, the disappearing and reappearing glasses uh, aren't the only thing that disappear and reappear. You guys want to hear a specific radio story from this episode? Yeah! Yeah. Of course. I put this in as a goof, but actually they did the same exact thing in the pilot in Genesis. Quantum Leap has a habit of um, doing insert shots, but the insert shots not matching the master shot, especially when it comes to radios. Uh, Anyway, only when it comes to radios, as far as I know. In this, when Doc is in his office with the pig, there's a radio on the desk. It's like up on the top left side of the desk 
And um, it's a very distinctive radio. It's as a matter of fact, the same model appears in Blind Faith, just like that guy, just like the mirror image. (laughs) But um, then they go to an insert shot of Sam turning on the radio when Tess wants to dance. The radio is at a completely different spot on the desk. It's a completely different radio. And then they cut away from the insert shot and where Sam's hand should have been on the desk is not there. And the radio has disappeared. It's just the other one that's up in the corner. But that one radio that they do the close up on. The insert shot, that is a 1948 RCA 65 X1 radio. And the reason I love it is because that is the first radio that I ever bought. It got you started. There's one right behind me, right behind me here in my library. Ah. It's a nice looking radio. Yeah, it's a beaut. You know why? It's so retro. It's it's got the very Mm. 50s retro vibe and when I saw it, I just fell in love with it. And I'd been toying with the idea of like being intrigued by radios and stuff like that. But once I saw that, that puppy, I was just like hooked and it still works. I plug it in. You know, Where'd you buy it? Was it a, at a antique store or was it? Yes. This was before I was doing my garage selling. You guys might not know this, but um, Saturday mornings and now sometimes Friday mornings, cause I have a more flexible schedule on Fridays during garage sale and estate sale season. That's my thing. I go out and I hunt for radios for a couple of hours every morning. And that's where I find most of them. But this one was um, – oh, God. You guys are going to make so much fun of me. When Laura and I first got married, we would go antiquing a lot. And there were – Oh, <laughs> yeah. There were many antique shops <laughs> out east. Um, and I got this one in a little town called East Mariches. I got an email. I got an East Mariches on Main Street in East Mariches. It was a little shop. There was a big shop with a lot of radios named Lloyd's, but he was a ripoff artist. But right next to him was a little house that had a ton of stuff in it. And I was walking through and I saw the 65X1 and I said, oh, I got to have that. I got to have it. And I never looked back from there. So, Oh, man. So yeah, I got on, on a little Main Street on a little town here on Long Island. You you said that it still works. Do you like you see so you can listen to just like modern stuff through the, like you just listen to like any old radio station. You could be like listening to whatever's current on your 1948 radio. <laughs> exactly. Whatever AM signal comes through. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't pick up signals from the 40s. I mean, that would be pretty neat. I kind of wish I would get one that does that. You know, but uh, yeah, maybe if you maybe if you can get some serious radio on there and be like, take me to the forties, forties <laughs> station. That's what I do um, in my car anyway. But uh, I listen to forties. Now it's forties junction. It used to be forties on four. But yeah, I guess it's just like you know, it's just very funny to me, like imagining you know listening to like Uptown Funk or something on nineteen forty eight radio. <laughs> no, it's it's yeah. Anybody that follows me on Facebook, I just got a, another radio from nineteen fifty, and I plugged it in to see if it worked. And the first song that I found was Jenny don't change your number eight six seven five three oh nine and I'm thinking wow yeah. this radio wasn't built to play that but good for you who was that Tommy <laughs> I want to say Tommy Two-Tone but it's really neat sometimes like after midnight I scour the AM dials and um, a lot of times like AM stations just don't have any staff or whatever so they'll just play like old radio dramas and so sometimes you can almost like recreate the feeling, I guess, of what would have been coming through that radio when it was new, you know? So That's mm. cool. So that's, that's my radio, nice. uh, my radio story. And if anybody cares, the uh, radio that's on top of Sam's desk is a 1956 Packard Bell 5R1. And like I said, another version of that radio is going to show up in Blind Faith. And I think also in Kamikaze Kid. We all care about this. Well, thanks for sharing, man. That was a great story. Yeah. 
it's nice to have that personal relation to it. It's good. Yeah. And just to put a bow on it, there's also that giant radio when Tess is in her underwear that's right above the couch. That's a 52 RCA Woodland, and that one shows up in the Don's Attic in uh, Double Identity. Oh. So, so watch for that. Following him around. Yep. It leaps with him. <laughs> you know, I, li- I like the look of that one. I like the 48 one a little better, but I like that it looks like it's got a big compass on the front or something. Uh, the 52 the one? Woodland. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, they call that, I think they, they said that was like an airplane um, because it looks like two wings. So okay. I'd have, yeah, to, yeah. I'd have to read up on it. It's been years since I read up on any of these. But um, anyway. Verdict, not anachronistic. Verdict, not anachronistic. <laughs> I was very, very. I love it. Ana- Verdict. Verdict. I was such a douche. <laughs> Please closed. My heart sinks whenever I see that. I love spotting a goof. So whenever I see not anachronistic, I'm like, oh, oh Chris, come on. <laughs> there are tons of them. Give me some anachronistic pilot. stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll yeah. give you a whole list. Don't you worry about it. You'll have a whole new section of BTMI. Yay. Looking at the date of this leap, uh, this is a few days before Sam's birthday. How long was it? Did it go into his birthday? It started on the August 5th. Well, didn't he do like a whole week of the wrangling and stuff? Yeah, he had to spend his birthday wrangling and wanting a hot bath, but they're like, you gotta do cowboy stuff. Digging posts. Happy birthday, Sam. He said he was a baby, so he probably turned three in this leap, right? Yeah. What if he just kept leaping in on his birthday and it was just like a birthday week oh, for him? Every every nice. leap was his birthday and he got to have a birthday party every time. That'd be fun. Happy birthday, Sam. Yeah. For this birthday, you're going to get hog cholera. Use it in good health. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ginger, if you're listening, I got a book pitch for the new range. It's going to be coming up. And I'm going <laughs> to write this book. And it's going to be called Happy Birthday, Sam. And it's going to be just he keeps sleeping into his birthday and having a great time. <laughs> I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> Sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, was this the uh, premiere of a new handlink? Because for whatever reason, this handlink looked a lot different to me. So I don't think it was, but I was going to make the point. This is the first time the handlink starts making sounds. Is it really the first time? You, well, yeah. I, you know what? Let me go back. Last time we... We did not the last episode, the last episode we did Right Hand to God when we did an episode episode, not a book episode. I had said that the handlink doesn't make any noise. Yeah. But then when I was editing the show together, there was a scene in which Al was using the handlink and you could hear a very low sort of like digital hum. It sounded almost like temp for tech. Oh, okay. Like a placeholder. But it was it was so subtle that unless you were listening for it, you would never have noticed it. And just because it was in my earbuds and I was cutting that scene is the only way I think that it even registered with me. So this, but this, I think Matt, you're right. This is the first time the handlink makes recognizably proper handlink yeah. sounds, right? The Hanna-Barbera noises. So all of these noises come from, no, they, they do. They, they come from a, a stock CD um, from Hanna-Barbera. I love that. I love that it's Hanna-Barbera noises. <laughs> So, yeah, so there's the handling that's in Genesis, and then there's another one that's in Double Identity and Color of Truth. And Double Identity was produced before this, so chronologically it was first. And then this is, in terms of production, the third one, which is in Right Hand of God, How the Test Was Won, and Kamikaze Kid. Okay, so we got all the props sus. We got the radios, we got the handlings, yeah. we got the pig, and we know what sex it is. 
They did go back to the pilot style imaging chamber door in this one for that effect, though. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Get a real good shot of Dean Stockwell miming opening a door <laughs> and stepping into it. Primo stuff. Yeah, they hadn't realized at that point that didn't work. I, you know what? I kind of like it. I kind of like it for season one. They got that weird door. Yeah, I, I think it's neat. And I, maybe it's, again, evolution at the project. Yeah. I, I just think of, again, the project in flux. So I love how Sam falls in love with all of his teachers. He was talking about the way that Wayne would dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did. Wayne danced about as well as I did with Miss Morgan at my kindergarten graduation. She married the principal that summer, and I didn't get over it until I met Miss Sedlak. She was my first grade teacher. He falls hard and fast all the time. And just wait, Sam, because soon you're going to be an understudy and you're going to bang your piano teacher. So good on you, Sam. Oh, man, all (laughs) of his teaching. He got a teacher thing. Um, Yeah, he falls hard and fast for everyone. He falls for Tess. I I like that he's just like, I think this is one of the first times on a leaf there seems to be like genuine feelings forming for a a stranger because there was donna but he knew donna already Mm. and he he has that conversation with gtf dubs where he's just like look you can't expect me to be here and not get get involved so you got to tell me what to do here (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like oh like he he genuinely like feels for people he doesn't even say tell me what to do he tells me if she winds up falling in love with doc or whatever leap me out this isn't fair you know you can't expect me to do this and not get involved. So if Tess falls in love with Doc, I'd appreciate it if you just leap me out of here as soon as possible. Like, I don't want to be here for the culmination of their love. How far are you going to take me and then just rip me away from this? Yeah, that's great. You know, it's almost like he's telling God, get your shit together. Stop fucking around with me. We're going to need the handling thing so much in this episode. We said a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a we lot said, of F-words. Yeah, we said F-bomb a lot. <laughs> Um, I did like uh, <laughs> Sam's lame dad joke with the thumb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Ultimate dad humor. It spoke to me. <laughs> I just really want to know, like, uh, you know, how all the cowboys saw that. That's like such a close up gag. And he's like, ah, ah, and he mimes pulling it off. <laughs> it just... He does the like, I got to grow a thumb back. <laughs> And then he, like, kind of winks or does, like, a little look at Tess like he's so cool and, like, takes off. <laughs> it was very good. It was it was goofy. It was just goofy enough. And um, I think that um, Scott, once again, just shows his range and he can just really nail it. You got to figure he's trying to find the footing for the character at this point. What is this? Maybe the, mm-hmm. the third produced episode or the fourth produced episode. And... I know we say that there are certain things about the first season that don't jive with later seasons because they weren't established. But one of the things that you often notice, anyway, that I often notice when you go back and you rewatch a show, everybody in the first season, all the characters themselves are fairly off because they haven't settled into their characters yet. Yeah. However, Scott in this is a constant. I don't think that season one, Sam, is any appreciably different than season five Sam. I think that he was just born to play Sam and he just falls into the role so effortlessly that Sam has always been Sam. It never takes me out of it saying, oh, Sam wouldn't do this or Sam wouldn't do that unless you're really trying to nitpick. I feel like the line about there's something, the things that women are better at than men like having babies <laughs> felt a little out of character to me. Really? But, um, yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, it's it's mostly consistent. Um, Scott Bakula himself said this, that um, 
in season one, he was playing it a little more goofy than he did later. He started like mm. playing it a little more seriously afterward, but you still see elements of that in him. Like it never feels like this is something that isn't part of Sam. It just feels like the show itself also started going a little less cornball, just depending on what the episode was supposed to be. Mm. So it never feels like, you know, you're watching it like, oh, they hadn't really hammered that out yet. Like, oh, that's kind of, mm. <laughs> that doesn't feel like them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, Al maybe a little bit more. He does seem like like Al is a little bit quieter and a little bit more... Lecherous. A little more aloof. Yeah, well, no, he was always lecherous, but I feel like he, he got looser as the show went. I feel like he's seriously sleazy in the first season and then adorably sleazy as the show goes on. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting... <laughs> line to draw i know i had to find one though (laughs) there were some changes that dean stockwell did specifically bring to the character um when season two came around because they had not established that his character was an admiral yet until the premiere of season two and after that he started incorporating that into the character so i don't know if he thought maybe he should be a little less (laughs) of a slobby lech you know like maybe he could try and clean up a little bit because he's supposed to be this High-ranking military guy? I don't know. Well, let's go in-universe again. I know that we're skipping the timeline here, but who cares? I mean, we see him in Play It Again Seymour, obviously drunk, and Sam even calls him out on it. So maybe Al is off the wagon here, and maybe that's why he's got the stubble and he's a little bit less like his season two on self. Maybe he's in a worse place because his best friend is gone, his life is in oh, transition, no. his girlfriend is cheating on him, he's drinking more. Oh, break my heart but then after the first (laughs) few episodes and especially after sam chides him on it maybe he snaps back into sobriety and that's where you get sort of that more walk in the straight and narrow oh my god i love this i love this headcanon it's a good way of looking at it yeah Yeah. that's what happened that was it I think, too, um, I do remember reading, and maybe this was something from that you quoted in your book, Matt, or something. I do remember reading a review for the premiere of Quantum Leap, uh, where someone was kind of slamming it or some parts of it they didn't like. And they were saying specifically of Al's character, they're like, you know, we don't need to have funny drunks on TV anymore. It's old hat. Yes. <laughs> you know, so maybe that was kind of the idea at first. Like, Al is kind of like the funny drunk character. And so that was incorporated into it a little bit. Uh, and then... Uh, he cleaned up a little bit more later once they started finding other things to do. Yeah. I just, I love putting all of this stuff in universe and just how consistent it can be though. It's amazing. I like that. It's amazing. What I don't like, <laughs> Piggy Suey, really? <laughs> what is your problem with that? Dumb. It's not dumb. It's so cute. This is dumb. Okay, so the the kid that's on the farm with him was Buddy Holly all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, the whole thing was about getting him to come up with the lyrics for the song Peggy Sue, which uh, Sam is inspired when he hears him singing about Piggy Sue. Wah, wah. Uh, I do want to say, okay, so the guy who plays Buddy Holly in this, he's an actor named Scott Foltz, and he looks nothing like Buddy Holly. <laughs> Not in the slightest. <laughs> doesn't matter yeah i recognize him from um he was a regular on the show she wolf of london <gasps> your favorite of course of course yeah was. that was that's one of my favorite shows um he didn't really have a lot of leading roles and not a lot of acting roles in general actually he often played people a lot younger than himself like i think he was in his mid-20s but he was supposed to be playing a lot like a younger kid because he's just one of those people that kind of like sounds and looks younger than they are um, so I like seeing him in here, but it's stupid. It's just a stupid, stupid plot twist 
wah-wah kiss with history. Yeah. As I said before, boomer bait. This was total boomer bait. And Mm -hmm. this is what I don't like about it, Matt. This is just saying, well, why? Why is it? Not only is it dumb, but it kind of reminds me of some of the criticisms I had about the Marilyn Monroe episode, but especially this because it's such a throwaway thing and it ages the episode so hard and so poorly that it becomes an increasingly inside joke for a dying demographic. I wrote that down. That's why I sounded so smart. Um, Wow. But- but think about it. Wow, you took that personally. How many young people today know who Buddy Holly is? Just today. Well, lots of people. I, yeah, if I, I work with a bunch of 20-year-olds, if I, if I played Peggy Sue for them, they'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I, well, I mean, Buddy Holly, I feel like, especially is noteworthy. I'm, you know, he had a lot of classic songs, but also the way that he died, I feel like he kind of stayed in, in cultural memory a little bit. I think people would know. Um, there might be some, uh, I don't know, TikTok generation. Maybe they don't know. That's what I'm <laughs> exactly, talking about. But, but who's going to be? But if they're the TikTok, if, if it's anyone watching Quantum Leap and they're genuinely into it, including like extremely uh, young people, they're going to look up this stuff and they're going to have an interest yeah. in older properties, especially because what are they doing watching a 30 year old's show? <laughs> a 30 year old show that's making a 50 year old reference. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing wrong with a time travel TV show doing something a bit obscure and yeah we're we're talking about 20 odd years ago at this point he was certainly less obscure then if he's arguably more obscure now and they were making it now i don't see why that would be a problem anyway because yeah it's it's going to introduce new people to buddy holly who maybe haven't heard of him and maybe just go what's this all about and they'll google and they'll find out doctor who does that all the time the modern doctor who will pick up the most obscure shit that should make people go, oh, I'm interested in that. I will find out more. Yeah, I feel like there are more obscure references than Buddy Holly. But even if you don't know who Buddy Holly is, like I think you can get from context that him coming up with better lyrics to a song, I guess, is the ending there. It's dumb either way, but I guess you'd be like, oh yeah, Peggy Sue sounds better than Piggy Sue. But just also that aside, also on a story level, that gag ending completely undercuts the entire episode. It's like, oh, why did we go through this for the last hour? Well, that was a giant waste of time, wasn't it? Maybe it's a lucky strike extra, as Al said one time. You know, like you get another... Yeah. <laughs> I just assume he's there for two reasons. All right. I mean, that's how most of the kisses with history works. Is thou shalt not completely erased because he saves Dr. Heimlich's life? Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'd like Thou Shalt Not to be completely erased, but he's obviously there for both reasons. All right, I'll buy yeah, it. Yeah, this, this is also like an example of them trying a little too hard to get a kiss from history in there, because that was, I think, one of the mandates. They were supposed to have kisses from history in there. So sometimes they would get kind of shoehorned in and be like, all right. <laughs> no, shit, we forgot. But I mean, I guess like he was kind of part of the story throughout the whole thing, though. At least, like, it wasn't like he just showed up in a bathroom and Michael Jackson is there, so (laughs) we had worse ones. (laughs) Yeah. I think more people would know who Michael Jackson is, but yeah, no, I get it. And I even said that, you know, I think that part of it was for Sam to be the catalyst so that Wayne would finally come and confess his love for Tess. So I, I, I can see him being there for both reasons. I just thought it was just so silly. But let's take a step back, Allison. You said they had to have kisses with history i thought that that was just something that they did because it was cute you're telling me that that was that was sort of a mandated thing yeah wasn't it mad it was like in the show bible like that's one of the things that they told them to do yeah and they obviously went away from that 
in season two, but in, in the first season, that was clearly Don or whoever saying, yeah, this, this is going to be a great thing. We're going to have one of these in every episode and people will love them. And yeah, sometimes they're a little forced. They still had them occasionally, but it was like whenever it made sense and not just trying to just shoehorn in one in all the time. This is one of those kind of like time travels. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one more than a lot of the other ones in, in the early episodes, precisely because they're not teasing it throughout the episode but it is sort of hidden in plain sight it is a twist and it's the exact same twist that comes up a few seasons later in boogeyman and yeah i don't really hear that much criticism of that it's just like oh there's a famous person in the episode the whole time i like that i think that's that's cute it's a nice little surprise pard (laughs) pard pardon me pardon me pardon me Pardon me for loving you. I did want to talk a little bit about some of the actors in this, um, some of the guest stars. Yeah, let's let's go for it. So we got Marshall Teague in this as Wayne. Yeah. Uh, was Marshall Teague one of the ones that was interviewed the first time around? I believe I feel so. like he did an interview. I, I think he was, yeah. yeah. Seems like a nice guy. He, I follow him on Twitter. He started following me on Twitter. Probably because I tweet about Quantum Leap, he seems to search out projects that he um that he's done, and uh, he started following me. But it was after uh, he liked a post I made about Steven Seagal. I don't know why he just liked my Steven Seagal tweet, <laughs> and uh, now I follow him, and he posts about Teague Tuesdays. I've seen that having a Teague good time, <laughs> like wallpapers that people have made, where he's smiling. He's like, "Hey, yeah." Have a great time going to the BBQ or whatever. And like, yeah, Marshall Teague, do that thing. <laughs> He's in everything. Uh, he was the guy in uh, Roadhouse who got his uh, throat ripped out uh, with um, Patrick Swayze's bare hands. Pretty good. <laughs> Never seen Roadhouse. Oh, I've got to check that out. Well, that happens. You should definitely check it out. <laughs> we should put a Roadhouse spoiler alert at the uh, top of this yeah. episode. <laughs> Yeah, so it, he was good in this. He's a staple in a lot of shows, um, like just doing guest starring bits. Uh, I believe he had a prominent guest starring role on um, Babylon 5. Sci-fi fans might know him from that. Yeah, under a ton of makeup, but he's very good in it. There's also um, another actor in this with another Quantum Leap connection, uh, Lance Legault, <laughs> who plays Chance, uh, Tess's dad. Uh, he did the voiceover for the first Saga Cell for Quantum yeah. Leap and Another Mother. Oh, I'm still waiting to hear that. I'm still waiting for that to come up in my rotation. That's one that I don't think I've seen yet. So, oh, I'm looking forward to it. He's so cheesy in that. So <laughs> cheesy. Yeah. It sounds like one of those um King's Quest adventure voiceovers or something. <laughs> and I don't think it was credited either, but it's clearly him. He has a very distinctive voice. Yeah. And it only happened once. There was only one time they did a saga cell that was someone other than Deborah Pratt. I wonder what the genesis of that was. I guess maybe we can get to it when we get to another mother. It'll give uh, Matt a chance to research or recall anyway. I'm sure he researched it to the nth degree. But uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, Matt. Yeah, no, I I know for a fact at the time I didn't get anywhere uh, in terms of finding out why. But hey, we've probably got another year for that. So who knows what we'll find. It probably was one of those things like they just realized they needed something to explain it rather than have Sam in voiceover going over things every week. Oh, yeah. Um, So they wanted to have a, a saga cell and they're like, okay, who has a good voice record this? And Donald Belisario uh, is quite a perfectionist, so he probably just thought it was cheesy or just didn't like the delivery and 
Deborah Pratt, his wife, is there and uh, could do like a better job. So maybe maybe she recorded a temp thing to like see what they like the sound of and they just liked it. Or maybe yeah. they were just like, yeah, her voice would sound better. Or, hmm. I don't know. Something to ask Deborah next time we speak to her. Yeah. Um, there is some Sam voiceover in this episode because they haven't gotten to Saga Cells yet. He talks about his process uh, after he leaps, like about just figuring out who he is, where he lives, mm. what people's names are. Every time I leap, I do this song and dance to find out who I am and where I live. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's easy. Yeah, and I feel like we really haven't established that much in the series yet. So for him to say it that way in this, I have to figure out who I am, where I am. I mean, before this, he was what? He was in Kid Cody, right? Mm -hmm. And then before that, he was the teacher. Yeah, I imagine a lot of it is looking at driver's licenses. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a fun thing to write, but something we really haven't seen that much of <laughs> on the screen. Yeah, it's kind of interesting thinking about what that process is because it's got to be just a pain in the butt every time. Yeah, and uh, I just like that they acknowledged it, but it also it shows again how desperately they're going to need the saga cell after a while, especially if you want to sell this into syndication with the idea that it's not going to be shown in order, or if you want to have mm -hmm. a rerun again that's not shown in order. All of these are so specific to the leap before, yeah, that it's going to become untenable from a production standpoint after a while. What if the new series starts and then it's like Raymond Lee, like, hey guys, this is me. I bet you're wondering how I got into this situation. It all started with the turn of a quantum clock. <laughs> you're like, guys, we can't. And I can only rely on Addison. No, 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 that's not Addison in the show, Mason. That's Addison. <laughs> She's a hologram. All she can do is lend me moral support. Moral support. Addison's my Tonto. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to be making the Tonto references in 2022. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. She's my Robin. We got to think of a more. Uh... <laughs> yeah, my Robin to my Batman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think of a more universally known sidekick at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robin to my Batman. <laughs> It'd be amazing. I just want them to do some cornball stuff. I just want them to do some cornball stuff. I recently saw an ad I'd never seen before for Quantum Leap from back in the day, where um, it's uh, Scott Bakula. He's sitting on a couple chairs, like he's got his feet propped up on one, and it's uh, it says Dean Stockwell on the chair. And then Dean Stockwell comes running in carrying two comically large grocery sacks full of food. <laughs> and then uh, Scott Bakula moves his feet, and he sits down. He calls him Al. So they are in character. He says, Al! Al! Where were you? I was getting a snack. I'm settling in. This is an important night. Important what? Tuesday, May 2nd, 1989. Does that ring a bell? Tuesday, Tuesday. That's the night that NBC put on Matlock in the heat of the night and Midnight Caller on the same night. Unforgettable. All new episodes. What could be better? What could be better? Yes. Quantum Leap tomorrow night. And then they act in character, even though he sits on this chair he was just resting his feet on. And he's like, I was just getting some snacks. Let's eat some snacks together. And I'm like, okay, this makes absolutely no sense. Nothing about this makes sense. The owl runs in, he sits, he's holding these, these snacks and he sits on this chair. But I do just love the idea of Al just showing up on a leap, holding two giant grocery sacks of snacks just for himself. <laughs> Just for himself. <laughs> right, that Sam can eat. 
Yeah, he's just like, I just, I am so hungry right now. And uh, so my one wish really for this new series, if nothing else that I ever put out into the universe happens, is that Addison shows up on a leap with two giant grocery sacks full of snacks, preferably with a giant baguette in one of them, (laughs) just because she's hungry. (laughs) Nothing says a bag of groceries like a giant baguette sticking out of the top. Yeah, Yeah. it has to have a giant baguette (laughs) in it and it has to just be for herself. Like, I just want them to do stuff like that just because it's funny. There's no lore for it. It's just because, wouldn't it be funny if the observer showed up with two giant grocery bags? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I love that ad. I hadn't seen it until recently. It was very funny. I'm going to have to try and find a way of making that canon for the next edition. Yeah, the the only way that it can be canon is if Al has a chair in the imaging chamber inside the other chair that Sam is using. Otherwise, it's like, how do you sit in that chair? We have that as an issue already in um, uh, Animal Frat. He sits on a chair. So that's okay. That's all right. Right. He does sit several times in the show. You have to say that there's one in the imaging chamber. But in this specific case, Scott Bakula was resting his feet on it, which means Sam was also using that chair. So it has to be another chair within the chair. So trippy, man. And also Quantum Leap exists in their universe. And also Al offers him a snack. At the end of it, which like, he, he can't share the snacks with Sam. And why is it, Dean Stockwell also exists in this universe? Because the chair is labeled Dean Stockwell. <laughs> so is Sam on a leap with Dean Stockwell? It got very meta. Right. Firstly, Al does a lot of that kind of dumb stuff, like, all the time yeah. throughout the show. Yeah. How many times does he name the leapy and then correct himself and say yours or vice versa? Like he just he he gets very confused about who he's talking to most of the time. Secondly, <laughs> if we start taking this kind of extraneous stuff as being canon, <laughs> there's the leap from a couple of years back from a talk show where they revisit the Donald Trump in a taxi leap. Oh man! Uh, he gets referred to as Scott. So if he's Scott Bakula, then there can definitely be a Dean Stockwell somewhere around. Oh my God! The actors have been haunted by the leapers the whole time. I just assumed Scott Bakula was the name of the taxi driver. That's that's the explanation for that. Oh, it's okay. all in the book. It's all in the book. Hilarious. Also, Santa's real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love these ads, these corny ass ads. <laughs> so good. Yes. I like the one where they talk about daylight savings time too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I feel like a, a new YouTube special is coming out of this. Yeah, all the ads. Just analyze the ads. Yeah, we're going to do a YouTube extra on this one. So They share a universe with all of these shows, um, with Golden Girls, with Night Court, all the ones yes. that they leap into in the commercials, the, the movie Dracula. All shared universe now. All right, Allison, you're going to get on that. Let's get a production rundown in place and let's get that one on the schedule. Yeah. I'm loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to buy that camera that Albie keeps getting on me to buy. So, (laughs) I mean, uh, do we have any more more test chat? (laughs) Yeah, I have one more note. Uh, It's not that uh, important, but I do have it written down, so I'm going to say it. In the the scene where they're playing poker, Mm -hmm. uh, when Sam's talking to Mm -hmm. Al about the dead man's hand. Aces and eights. Aces and eights. I do like that scene. That's another one where it's like Sam and Al are, are friends and it's kind of casual and they play off each other pretty well. Uh, Al's helping him out by looking up how everyone else is playing. And um, there's this score that plays behind it. That's kind of creepy. It's so cool. He's got aces and eights. I got a right to stomp him, Chance. Not if he's telling the truth. And I don't know why they play it creepy, but I like it. I like the vibe of it. I'm not really sure why, but it, it just sounds really interesting. I like that. 
it's got that kind of creepy sci-fi thing, like you're expecting, I don't know, something about parallel universes to be mentioned or something. Yeah, it feels very ominous. It, it doesn't feel horror creepy. It's very specifically the kind of thing that would pop up in Sliders or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> if Sliders had more than $2 of a budget, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked that. I wonder if that was another... Uh... Velton Ray Bunch score or one by Mike Post because in season one they did get the occasional Mike Post one until like, they used a lot of Velton Ray Bunch's stuff and uh, and eventually they just solely went with him. So was this Velton with or without the dove tones? <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't. Uh, Sam hadn't leaped in to give them the idea yet for the dove tones. Wasn't that uh, the pilot anyway? I know. I'm just making a dumb joke with Piggy Sue, we think. It didn't really make a lot of sense. <laughs> right, well, now that you explained it, it does. <laughs> nah, it wasn't a very good joke. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It just sounded very different. And it's another one of those things where like, I, I wish that Felton would release, if he has any copies of these uh, orchestral pieces, clean, because I would like to hear them. Because there's a lot of really interesting ones that they use that just didn't get a lot of attention or they didn't get used very much. So some of them get reused, but some of them, like, I don't think they ever use that one again. No. Yeah, that would certainly be an interesting, like, journey. He could make a whole, like, a, I'd say DVD or whatever, but it seems to me it would be more- I would love that. It would be more of, like, a documentary than an album where he'd have to talk it up and then put everything into context. But, yeah. Just do, like, a special re-release two-volume- Vinyl record, <laughs> quantum leap score. Like I would, ju- I would love to hear all of these pieces, and especially ones that I didn't really pay a lot of attention to. This is the first time I ever noticed or took the time to like think about what the- was going on with the music in this episode, other than the country stuff, because it it feels different than the rest of the the episode too, because it's very country type music, fittingly enough. But um, yeah, that scene was very different, and I would like to hear some of the other pieces and give them a little more thought. Oh, that's it. If you're listening, Velton, you have your marching orders. Uh, Allison wants a double album. <laughs> Do it. Vinyl. I would be the first Two in line to buy yeah. every single piece. And the uh, the vinyl can't just be like a black record. It's got to be some funky color or maybe you have Scott Bakula's face on it. Or It'd have to be blue, right? If you're going to do a Quantum Leap different colored vinyl, it'd have to be blue. Blue with like lightning streaks through it. Yeah, with lightning on it. And we want to see a picture of the dove tones on the back of the dust jacket. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I think I'm pretty much test out. Uh, let's go on to some final thoughts. Any objections? Nope, that's good. Yep, I'm good. All right, uh, AP. <laughs> I don't think anyone did anything particularly wrong in this episode. It's just one of those things where it's dumb because, like, it's it's just an early thing that doesn't really fit the vibe of the rest of the show. But I enjoy watching it. It's a, it's a fun one to watch. It's just kind of silly. And Matt? Yeah, I'm going to refer to one of the notes that I had uh, this time around, which was just misogynistic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. But if you can overlook that, and it's taken me 20 odd years to do that, I do think it's really sweet. And it's, it, yeah, it's fun. I really like it. I don't know if that's a one-off. And if you ask me again next week, I'll be like, oh my God, what is this <laughs> awfulness? But yeah, I like it now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know I, I came, I came in hard on it. I didn't dislike it. It's just that Quantum Leap for a show that's usually you know, pretty smartly written and pretty on the ball. This was just Ed Charlack level bullshit. It was just such a goofy TV plot. And 
it was fine in of itself, but it did not fit in with Quantum Leap. And I think that was the biggest problem that I had, you know, the whole contest about somebody getting married. But for all that, like I said, the cinematography was amazing. Scott and Dean were terrific. And it was a sweet show. I think that it, it was enjoyable for all that. It just wasn't up to the level of Quantum Leap that I'm used to. That's all. That's all, but still enjoyable. And, um, That's fair. Yeah, and I'd say that um, still you should probably watch it. Even if it's not the best, it does establish some more stuff about the characters and, and the world that uh, we're entering into on this big quantum adventure that we're embarking on. So that is how the test was won in the books. We are going to mount up Widowmaker and ride off into the sunset. But uh, when we get back, uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We got a bunch of new patrons. We have some feedback. So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the flip side, partner. Yeah. Peggy Sue, Peggy Sue, pretty, 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 pretty Peggy Sue, oh, oh Peggy, my Peggy Sue, oh, well, I love you, gal, yes, I need you, Peggy Sue, I love you, Peggy Sue. Beyond the Mirror Image is an 800-page hardback book packed full of information about Quantum Leap. It's been on sale since 2016 to rave reviews, and it's written by one of the Quantum Leap podcast team, so you know it's a high-quality product. Now, I'd like to invite you to support the second edition at Kickstarter. It's bigger and contains so much more information than the first. If you pledge in our 60-day campaign window, you'll get a numbered copy with colour pages which will never be available again, and you'll get a written acknowledgement in the book, plus there's optional extras to pledge for. So don't delay. Come to kickstarter.com and search Beyond the Mirror Image to help bring this project to life. This is Elton Ray Bunch, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Howdy, partners. We're back. Oh, wait. We're done with Tess, right? Hi. Hi. It's me. It's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, um... You know, when we begged that time at the top of the wall, when we said, hey, please, can we get some new patrons? And you guys, if, if you're out there and you're listening, maybe you want to support us on Patreon because Chris is scared about having to edit when we have to go weekly and all that stuff. Well, they heeded the call. We have so many new patrons to announce. Wow. Yeah, I was um, very, very gratified and grateful for um, everyone that heard our plaintive uh, cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and took it to heart it's gotta be done so uh i'm just gonna list them in order of support okay so our new patrons include at the two dollar observer level a uh, patron named Niradoc. Thank, Thank you, you Niradoc. As Yay. a $2 observer, uh, Niradoc gets access to the poll, so uh, Niradoc can vote on which episode we cover on the podcast next. And also access- you know, Niradoc is Coderon backwards. <laughs> Coderon? What is that? It's nothing. I'm being dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought it was a reference. I thought you guys are younger than me. I don't know. It's a video game thing. <laughs> Coderon. Yeah. The palindrome of Neradoc is Coderon, not not Lob. <laughs> Matt got that. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, so at the $2 level, um, uh, Naradoc, you get access to the polls and also to the brand spanking new feature that I inaugurated on Patreon just this month. Um, we are doing a monthly newsletter. The newsletter is just a roundup of everything going on with the podcast, including our production schedule, anything that might be happening over at the YouTube channel, any extraneous stuff that we're doing um, individually, like Allison just released a terrific video about the mind body debate and how it all works and mm-hmm. it's hilarious because it's, oh, it's Allison because Allison is you know she's she's the talent around here everybody Hi. so uh yeah and um there's well we'll talk about the YouTube channel in a minute but there's so much stuff coming up on YouTube that I can't wait to see so um we'll be keeping um everybody abreast of all that stuff in the newsletter every month so um that's another reason to maybe go over to Patreon and uh and sign up even at the $2 level you'll get that newsletter and the poll so thank you Naradoc um we also have a few new $5 leapers. Uh, Seamus Kelly. Thank you, Seamus. Thank you. Puka H. Thank you, Puka. Mm. And we thank have you. to thank David Rivera. Um, David was formerly a $3 book club supporter. He upped his pledge. He upgraded to the $5 leaper level. So thank you, Seamus, <laughs> Puka, and David. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Moving on. We also have a new $10 old boy member. Tara Steiner. Tara, thank you very much. As an old boy member, uh, not only do you get access to all of the bonus content, like the $5 leapers and everything else, but I will be interviewing you for the old boy interview uh, about your Quantum Leap fandom, patron exclusive. He's coming for you. I'm coming for you. I have three in the can (laughs) so far. So, Tara, it's going to be a little while. We got quite a few on the list, but uh, I'm starting to put them out. And I'm having so much fun talking to our supporters about their fandom. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, glad that i inaugurated the segment because it just so many different perspectives and they're always different than your perspective and we always talk about the shows but we never talk about the fandom specifically and what draws people to it and that's really what i'm getting uh like a lot of gratification from with these old boys interviews so if you guys if they're you know if they're on your feed take a listen uh we've already got one out there with alby we got one out there with charles allen gossard and um just this morning, and it will be on your feed by the time this comes out, I spoke to Morgan Felden, another $20 producer that also had a hand in creating the replica prop hand link. So I had a good chat with Morgan just this morning. Can't wait to edit it together and put it out there for you guys to hear. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. Now, drum roll, please. We have two more patrons to announce. Patrons who have upped their pledges to the $20 producer tier. That would be Mr. Craig Riedler, who was an old boy member, and our oldest patron, Cosplay Dad. Cosplay Dad upgraded from $5 leaper to $20 producer. Cosplay Dad, also known as Tom, has been our patron since April of 2014. Wow. I don't know what a podcast was in 2014. Hey, wow. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. And Tom, I, you know, I reached out to him immediately because I've spoken to him a number of times, but, uh, Cosplay Dad, uh, wrote to us. I'll, I'll read this short, a short message. Just writes, Hey, his team, seeing how y'all have got, wow, it's almost like he sounds like he's with Tess. Seeing how y'all have got a new goal <laughs> of hiring another editor with hopes that this will soon become a very busy podcast and being one of the longest time, if not the longest, check with Albie LOL patrons of the QLP. You are the longest time, the longest patron. <laughs> um, patrons of the QLP I wanted to do my part 
and have increased the amount of my patron support and challenge all other supporters to do the same. You hear that? That's not for me. That's from Cosplay Dad. He's an authority. So you have to listen wow. to his challenge. Aww. Keep up the good work and see you in the imaging chamber. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks, Cosplay, Cosplay Dad. Dad. Nice. Thank, Thank you, you to Craig. Thank you to Tara, Seamus, Puka, David, Naradoc. All of you new and upgrading patrons, it means the world to us. Thank you so much for your support. And speaking of new patrons, that $10 old boy member, Tara Steiner, who just signed up, also had some nice words to send us. So, um, Allison, why don't you start this one since I read Cosplay Dads? It's my pleasure to support your podcast. Truth is, I am a total newbie to QL. After the passing of Dean Stockwell, so many people were talking about their memories of QL that it planted a seed in my brain. I was looking for something new to put on as background television in February, and I thought, let's give this a go. I was surprised at how hooked I got from the start, and it was no longer background TV, but had my full attention every episode. I had an absolute blast, and I'm desperate to talk about the show with someone. Podcasts are my usual substitute for conversation, and was so excited that I found a QL pod with Alison. I've been Aww. a fan of movie nights and Baywatching for a long while. You Aww. guys are all hilarious, and I look forward to going through the old and shiny new QL with the pod. Tara. Thanks, Tara. Aww. So nice. Another Allison fan coming. How come every time people write in, it's like, oh, I loved Matt's book and I found the podcast. Or, oh, I've been watching <laughs> Allison for a million years and I found the podcast. And no one ever says anything <laughs> about me. But anyway. No. What, what do you have? Nothing. Nothing. I'm not famous. <laughs> just a novel. You guys are just too famous. They're like, I heard about this uh, this old clock enthusiast. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, what is he doing clock. these days? <laughs> A radio enthusiast. What does he do? I don't. They don't remember. It's been a long time. So they're like, I don't. I heard about this guy who's like into old shit. And I was like, What's he doing these days? <laughs> oh, oh, you guys. No, you got. You know what? Yeah. Um, I feel like you know the people that are fans of you. They're already into the quantum leap. You know, like. Oh, thank you, Allison. You really know how they didn't have, they didn't have a way in. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tara, so much. I think it's funny that she found the show after Dean's passing. I think that's the first time I've ever heard anything like that. Yeah. That's the thing about Quantum Leap. It is not a background show. It's not there for just back. Mm. Put on an NCIS for that kind of bullshit. Quantum Leap demands <laughs> to be paid attention to. Especially Tess. Oh, my, oh my God. God. You cannot, I mean, You cannot ignore the call of how the test was won. Yeah, and if you do ignore it, we're going to send Zeke after Zeke. you. He's going to come and get you and make you watch. <laughs> he's he's going <laughs> to wrestle you, partner. <laughs> so I'm glad, Tara, that um, not only did it pull you in, but that um, you're enjoying it as much as you are and that we're an outlet for you to to sort of pseudo-talk about it with somebody. I get that. I know so few people in my real life who are fans like I am of different genre stuff. So podcasts are my outlet, too. I just happen to be on mic talking with people about it, but I get you. I get you. We also got another message uh, from our patron, Ross Johnson. Uh, we announced Ross's patronage a few shows ago, but he has sort of a similar experience to Tara. And I guess I'll start his message. He wrote, on a whim, and not too long ago, I chose to rewatch a few episodes of QL, not having high hopes that the show would still hold up to my very fond childhood memories. I was very surprised to find that it still works for me, and that the show's progressive themes look even more impressive in retrospect. It certainly wasn't perfect in that regard, but at least made an effort to tackle issues that TV networks generally preferred to avoid circa 1989, and did so from a place of empathy. 
If I give it very mixed marks for its handling of queer characters, for instance, it was still something for a gay kid to see even that bit of representation back in the day. Now, of course, it seems like I chose a really great time to take a second look at Quantum Leap. QLP was one of the first ways I found to reconnect, and now, of course, we've got the new series to look forward to. You've been my main source for revival news, and I'm enjoying the heck out of it. So thanks again, Ross. That's nice. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and it's nice that, you know, again, people having representation, watching a show and being able to yeah. see yourself there is such an important part of the fan experience. And um, yeah, Quantum Leap did do it, I think, it was a little bit more progressive for its time, but it's still kind of hedged. So I'm really glad that it seems that they're going to be leaning into a lot more of those progressive aspects in the new show. And I look forward to seeing how they do it as well, Ross. So um, it's going to be an interesting ride. And don't thank us for all the reboot news. Thank uh, Mr. Matthew Dale. Without him. Oh, thank you. It's not really the pod. It's it's really Matt. <laughs> anyway, it is. Uh, I get all my news <laughs> from just Matt. Sitting there, like, wait, like, what is Matt gonna say about uh, what? You got the news, Matt? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I text Matt every once in a while and say, "Time for a reboot special. Have we got anything yet? We got enough. We got enough." <laughs> <laughs> it's like three in the morning, and I see in the Facebook chat like Matt posting something. I'm sitting there all slobby, like, mm, "What's the news? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's what I'm here for." <laughs> It's all early for you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys want to see all of the latest news without waiting for us to do another reboot special, even though we will, Matt does a fortnightly roundup of all of the newest stuff that's going on with the reboot on the YouTube channel. The YouTubes. Yeah, on the YouTube channel. Oh, man. Did you check this out? He's got all his delivery down in like a minute. Yeah. He does way better yeah. than me. I gotta like, I gotta edit the crap out of everything to try and get this stuff down. But you got yeah, it. Yeah, he does it in a minute. I was like, you know, Allison's a YouTube star. It inspired me. I want to get in front of the camera now. Yeah, you did great. Doing my best. Thank you. Thank you. I like that you usually uh, in, incorporate your uh, your quantum leap hat as well. I've got, I got all the hat. Next time it'll be the pyramid hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Ease him in, Matt. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different hat every time. I start off looking quite normal at first, but as the weeks go on, <laughs> I'm going to look more and more ridiculous. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Well, you guys have been doing so much on the YouTube channel. I feel like I'm the outsider looking in. I'm, I'm kind of like all the listeners. Like, I think I've been on one of, or maybe two of the YouTube things in total. But Matt, you and Albie have a new show scheduled to premiere at some point called In the Fourth Dimension. You want to explain what that is? Yeah, I don't know when that's going to be coming. Um, Albie's been editing it uh, for a little while because we want to make sure the first episode is perfect before we start rolling them out more frequently. But we are reviewing every time travel movie ever, which may take a few years, but we're we're doing them um, four four or five movies uh, per episode. And uh, yeah, it's it, it was a lot of fun to record the first one. And uh, we're really looking forward to to seeing how it goes down. But it's it's just it's it's the same kind of same kind of style that you expect from the the Quantum Leap podcast. It's a couple of friends chatting and laughing about some good movies and some very bad movies. That's cool. I did the announce for that, but that's the only involvement I've had. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Another thing that I was completely not involved with, uh, another thing that's premiering soon is Albie held a whole roundtable of a Quantum Leap show and tell, right? Mm. You guys were both involved in that, were you not? 
Yeah, it was a blast. Yeah. It was a blast because I wasn't there. No, but... Um, yeah, we were like, whew, get that Chris God out of here. <laughs> Finally, someone else has a chance. <laughs> oh, it was great. We all we all sat down talked about different uh, Quantum Leap uh, memorabilia and other ephemera that we've collected over the years. And uh, honestly, like, it was great sharing that stuff. It was also great just to meet everyone in there because there's so many people from the Quantum Leap fandom that have just yes. been around forever and, like, contributed, like, so much. It was just really great to be able to sit down and talk with everyone. Among the guest stars were uh, Brian Green, who runs the Owl's Place mm-hmm. website and was basically the force got the Leap Back on Nine convention off the ground. Mm-hmm. There was um, Sam Fain, who is one of the hosts of Fate's Wide Wheel podcast. There was Aaron Moss and his wife, Michelle, uh, Brotherhead, who has been a longtime fan of this podcast. He started his own podcast, the Starbright Project podcast. And uh, Morgan was on there as well, right? Morgan Felden. Yeah, talking yeah. about um, the new replica props. And I just found out this morning uh, when I was speaking to him that he's got a prototype of the wrist link. He said that he showed you guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's so pretty. Heck yeah. Yeah, it's he so was talking pretty. about that a bit um, when we did the uh, the show and tell together. Like he talked a lot about the stuff he was working on. It's, it's always just fascinating. Like uh, I understand about half of the technical stuff that he's talking <laughs> about, but it's just like it's so cool. Yeah. And he also showed off his Gushy cosplay. Just going to say. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a damn fine cosplay. <laughs> it's amazing. But so a lot, a lot of stuff going on over at the YouTube channel. I mean, it's really, it's taken off. And uh, I'm so happy because it's another facet that we get to explore and get to indulge in the fandom. And as the reboot uh, happens, we can do other things besides the podcast to celebrate it. So it's just a good time to be a fan of quantum leap if you would like to reach us here at the quantum leap podcast there are many ways that you can do so including a new way you can send us snail mail how retro is that guys it's like i'm time traveling hot dog i got the podcast the p.o box so you can send us anything you'd like at p.o box or should i say quantum leap podcast at p.o box 542 Bayport, New York, 11705. Now, I remember P.O. Box 542 very easily, and you can too. This is my little device. There are five seasons of Quantum Leap (laughs) and 42. 42. Come on. The uh, ultimate answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, (laughs) Ah, and everything. Yes. Oh, I see. I see. I had to cross my fandoms. A prize if we can make sure that the first mail that's received there is from somebody anonymously saying they're stuck in the past and here's the code for the imaging chamber door. (laughs) If someone sends us a snail mail and you open it up and it's that blue meme (laughs) printed out, (laughs) I promise you we've seen it, guys, but the enthusiasm is good. (laughs) If you want to do like a portrait, like you painted an oil painting of the blue meme. Oh my god, if it was an oil painting of the blue... Dryland, dryland. Oh, yeah. Oh, heck yeah. That would be a prized possession for anyone. You know it. So once again, that is Quantum Leap Podcast, P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. Please send the stuff at the P.O. Box. Don't make me go there and open it every week and find an empty box. I'll be very sad. Cobwebs. Very sad. Crickets. (laughs) Dead crickets. Because they've been in there a week alone. (laughs) 
You can also reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast and as always you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and just a word on that patreon support we are at about 32 percent of reaching our stretch goal to hire a new editor so we are still going to need wow. yeah. yeah i mean it's a it's, it's amazing. an amazing start isn't it i can't believe how much people have come out to support us already i just want to capitalize on all of that amazing momentum thank you guys so much for your support and if you are considering supporting or upgrading your membership now is the time to do it because the reboot's getting closer and we want to give you the best show we possibly can so your support will go a long way to ensuring that we are on the ball every week with the goods (laughs) just remember that if you do reach out to us we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of upcoming episodes matt tell us what's next I'm super excited about this because it's the return of a couple of my favourite characters. It's the return of the Evil Leapers before (gasps) the return of the Evil Leapers. (laughs) Whoa! So excited. It's Knights of the Morning Star by Melanie Rawn, best-selling author of the Dragon Prince series. So she she got that fantasy stuff down. She does. She got that Renaissance stuff down. Is that what Dragon Prince is about? I mean, you know. You kind of feel like dragon stuff is usually renaissance. Maybe I am misspeaking here. I can't speak to, to the Dragon Prince series, but it sounds very, uh, very renaissance-y to me. If you'll permit me, I will read the blurb and we'll see how fantasy it is. A leaper in shining armor. Dun, dun, dun. When the blue light fades after his latest leap, Dr. Sam Beckett finds himself wielding a sword and facing a man in full armor. It's just a flesh wound. No, Sam hasn't leaped into the court of King Arthur. He's jousting his way through a medieval recreation, a medieval recreation group battling for the hand of a fair lady. But sword fighting isn't the only challenge Sam faces. A sinister new player has entered the game. Someone who threatens not only the project, but Sam's life as well. Another Leaper. Quantum Leap, Knights of the Morning Star, an original novel by Melanie Ron, best-selling author of the Dragon Prince series. Bum, bum, bum. An all-new adventure, first time in print. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Oh, man. Uh, I'm stoked for this. This is when it st- the books start getting really into like the... like. It's it's getting into the good stuff, you know, like gimmicky stuff where you're like, yeah, give me them gimmicks. <laughs> yeah, we're fully in season five territory. Ooh, I remember enjoying this one. Uh, I don't really remember a lot about it other than the evil leapers being in it. So it'll be nice to revisit. We're going to reconvene the Quantum Leap Podcast book club. And um, this one is going to be juicy. I can tell. It, the reason I said it's just a flesh wound is they do have a picture of a knight's helmet on the cover that is the <laughs> spitting image of John Cleese in the Holy Grail. What was that? The, which knight was that? The Black Knight? Or <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the Black yeah. Knight. <laughs> How does an upside-down bucket look like the spitting image of John Cleese? I mean, I know what you mean, but at the same time... The helmet that he wore in yeah. that role, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know, I know, but it's... <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a generic helmet. Thank you for calling out on that, Matthew. I'm just saying. It made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It was a good reference. Well done. I was going to start singing We're Knights of the Round Table, but I held back. We can go out on. It's only a model. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going for the night now. How amazing is it that, like, on Quantum Leap, we can talk about Westerns in one breath, and then the next breath we're talking about medieval knights in armor? It's just crazy. Honestly, I think that's why I've been able to, like, stick with Quantum Leap for so long, because sometimes fandoms come and go, you know? Especially, you, you get kind of like, oh, I'm just tired of this flavor for a while, you know? But Quantum Leap, there's so much to Quantum Leap. It never leaves you bored. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes there's a thing that's bored, but you won't stay bored for very long, <laughs> because then it moves on to something hmm. else, you know? Like, you just get all sorts of stuff. It's insane. Yeah, it is crazy. And uh, I don't remember much about this book either, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it getting back into some meaty quantum leap literature yeah it'll be nice to see uh how it is uh with another author yeah, too you yeah. know we've been reading a lot of ashley yeah. mcconnell i want to see how uh melanie ron takes it on for sure for sure so i can't wait to talk about that with you guys but until then i have been christopher de philippus i've been allison pregler and i've been matt dale and we'll see you next time yeehaw <laughs> yeehaw <laughs> rope em ride em Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher Filippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Joshua Burwald, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual, and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. All he does is baw at me. I don't even know that reference, but... A song. All he does is baw at me? What song? Baw at Piggy me. Piggy but... suey. Oh. Pig oh. suey. <laughs> All he does is bite me. Bite me. Oh, golly. Yeah, that's that's a thing that was in the episode. We'll talk about that. <laughs> oh, I've actually looked at the rundown. So prepared. I was too busy uh, looking at the George McFly article. Um, right. So that's the same boilerplate that they put on there? Yeah, but it it's weird because Quantum Leap usually um, they just take the latest issue of the LA Times and put a new headline on. So I always just, whenever I see a close-up, I just Google a bit of it and find the issue of the LA Times. And this time I Googled it and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is some dummy text that shows up on every movie newspaper, including Edith Keeler's death and George McFly's death. It's going back that far, huh? Yeah. I guess if it ain't broke. Yeah. Hmm. Love it. So that's going in BTMI. <laughs> Music, some cowboy shit. Oh yeah, dear, I Chris. Some cowboy shit. <laughs> if uh, there are country music fans listening to this, we are going to so sorely let them down. I'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs>
You just sound like the guy in um, the jail and uh, play it against Seymour. It's like, <laughs> you, you, you. <laughs> There's also um, another actor in this with another Quantum Leap connection, uh, Lance Legaltz, <laughs> who plays Chance, uh, Tess's mom in this. He did the voiceover wait, wait, for the you first say, Saga say that, say that again? Because you said Chance, Tess's mom. Oh, I yeah. He played, Chance, I he Tess's played dad. Tex, yeah. Tex, what's his Ch- name? Tess's Tex? mom. <laughs> okay, Lance Legault as uh, Chance, which is Tess's dad. All right, claps in three, two, one. And room tone. Okay, that should be plenty. Cool. Might have picked up my stomach just then. I was like, I, I thought that I was. I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> no, it was definitely. It was like. <laughs> That's impressive. That's. <laughs> Serenity, what did you think of how the test was won? Um, well, it was a pretty good episode. I was super excited at the end of The Right Hand of God because I saw pigs and I love pigs and I actually have pigs of my own. And I love them so much um, that I was so excited during that episode. And till that episode, I did not know what the song Peggy Sue was. So I did not get it at the end. But um, my dad explained it to me after. So, yeah. Thanks, Dad. Are you ready for the next episode? If I'm lying, I'm dying. Please let me get a pen. I don't want to be in the patient anymore.